Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the executive producer of Lessons in Leadership. We've got Mary Gamba. Mary, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, Steve. How are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, we're talking about innovation disruption. We're talking about leadership, and we're talking about it uh, right out of the box with the gentleman who has lived it in so many challenging circumstances and have been, has been in the forefront of the fight against COVID-19 and learned an awful lot uh, as a leader, as a clinician. Please welcome uh, to Lessons in Leadership, Dr. Daniel W. Varga, who is Chief Physician Executive, Hackensack Meridian Health. Dr. Varga, good to see you. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. By the way, by way of background, uh, we've talked offline, so I know this, but please share it with our audience. You've had some other experiences beyond the current one around COVID-19 and fighting some serious challenges. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so back in uh, 2014, uh, I was probably about a year and a half or, or so into uh, my tenure down in uh, Dallas, Texas at Texas Health Resources when the only uh, Ebola patients that came to the U.S. Uh, were uh, diagnosed and admitted in uh, our hospital, Texas Health Presbyterian Dallas there. Um, it was an interesting uh, six, eight, 12 weeks of, of Ebola. So uh, uh, I've been up here in uh, New Jersey for 150 days. And uh, 30 days in, we, uh, we were introduced to COVID-19 up here in the Garden State. So as the chief physician executive, and let me disclose this, uh, our company, Stand and Deliver, has been doing leadership development at HMH at Hackensack Meridian Health. We actually lead a one of the most rewarding things I've done professionally is be involved in the Hackensack Meridian Health Physician Leadership Academy that Dr. Varga knows very well. He is one of the many things under his umbrella, but physician leadership itself, for you, share with folks beyond your clinical background how you have developed to be the leader you are and the leader you're going to be moving forward, all the lessons you're learning in the midst of this. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. My generation of uh, physician executive uh, is probably far more of a, of a seat of the pants, uh, uh, on the job training kind of uh, physician leader. It, it, guys, uh, guys of my generation still kind of chuckle about, uh, it would have been really great if somebody had actually taught us this stuff formally uh, back in the day. Uh, the, new, the newer generation of physician leader is actually, Steve, a far more trained uh, physician leader. A lot of them have, you know, MBAs. Uh, a lot of them acquired their MBAs at the same time they did their medical degree. So there was a, a tight integration there. I would tell you that my experience probably more than anything uh, as a leader uh, literally came out of uh, what happened at the bedside. I mean, I, I always felt like my, my most important role with a, with a patient and a patient and their family was creating a collaborative environment where we could all get together and work uh, towards a common set of goals, whether that was uh, prospective, preventive uh, services and wellness, or whether it was overcoming chronic illness, or whether it was dealing with a, you know, an acute uh, critical illness uh, situation. I always kind of viewed this as really a, a, a collaboration as opposed to a, a vertical, you know, directive, prescriptive sort of engagement with, with folks. And anybody who's ever worked with doctors uh, knows that uh, there is no such thing as prescriptive and directive. I mean, it's a very collaborative, you have to right. be collaborative to get these folks uh, engaged and activated. 
so that, that would tell you that's probably my biggest experience. Beyond that, you know, I, I came up through the ranks of organized medicine. I was president of a county medical society, president of a state medical society on boards of national uh, organized medical structures and political bodies. So I, th that was obviously a lot of advantage right. I had. So real, before, real quick, before Mary jumps in, I say COVID-19 and its connection to innovation in the medical field and in the physician world, and you say? Absolutely. Uh, is, it, is it status quo not an option? Not an option. I mean, it's, it's an, that, that, that concept, Steve, is existential, right? Um, I mean, and we, we found that at Hackensack Meridian uh, in spades. Um, you know, if you were to look and say, how many ICU beds do you have? And the answer in, in, in a COVID pandemic is not near enough. Uh, you know, how do you, uh, how do you design models of care for a disease that you've never taken care of? They go as fast and as well as you can, and then you learn for, from it in real time. Uh, and, and I would argue that right now, uh, we, we've been doing some consulting with uh, other, other businesses out in uh, New Jersey as they're trying to reopen. And they keep saying, well, what should we really do to, to you know, get through this and get back to normal? I'd say, not get back to normal because this isn't going to go away. And it's, it's also a great opportunity for us to, to look at this with a reboot and say, let me give you a real quick example. The quick sure. example is when we started in the COVID-19 surge, we were doing zero uh, physician practice telehealth visits. By the time we hit the peak, we were doing 1,600 a day. Now we're back to doing near normal in-person visits in our offices uh, right now. We're still doing 1,000 telehealth visits a day. Talk about innovation. I mean, brand, brand new. That, that's a 120-day innovation. And that is not just for now. You believe, Dr. Varga, that is a big part of the future. That is, that is forever. Mary, jump in. With everything happening so quickly, especially in the physician world dealing with COVID-19, one of the biggest challenges that I've heard a lot of physicians talk about is that they don't have all the answers and they are afraid. How do you lead others on your team when, frankly, you're probably afraid, you're uncertain, you don't have all the answers, but it's a big leadership uh, skill to have. What do you tell your physicians who are looking to you for those answers? Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, the, this approach is, is, a, is a two, at least a two-dimensional uh, uh, proposition. The first is do the basics well. Right, I mean, you know, one of the things we found uh, very early on in managing patients with COVID is if you simply did really smart, basic caregiving things like really monitor their oxygen saturations, really give them the right dose of oxygen and give it to them the right way. If you could actually do what we call proning, which as, is a as yes. opposed to having people lay on their back, you lay them on their stomach, let's air exchange happen better. And all of a sudden we found very quickly, we're gonna put nearly as many people on a ventilator as we thought we were going to. Uh, then once you get, if somebody had to go on a ventilator, you do the basics well. Um, and I think the, the second dimension of that for sure uh, has been to not be afraid to innovate. Uh, I mean, I think our folks uh, did a fabulous job of 
getting us engaged in clinical trials, lickety split right out of the gate on this, so that we were so we were we were playing in the world. For example, with remdesivir, we were we were administering that and participating in trials early, early on. Uh, convalescent plasma. We Look at the work that Dr. David Perlin's doing, your colleague, and, and the, right. pla the plasma, right? Exactly, and and it it wasn't just a plasma uh, a plasma uh, uh, convalescent plasma model. It was yeah, we got that too. We we're already doing that, but let's look at folks who David actually calls them super donors, folks who develop really high levels right. of antibodies. And let's see, not only does it work, but yeah. at what stage of the illness does it work best in? So, you know, it's it again comes down to that very simple thing: do the good, do the simple things really, really well and reliably, and don't be afraid to innovate. Check this out. By the way, uh, Dr. Varga was talking about Dr. David Perlin. We were talking about the convalescent. Plaza, you want to find out a good story about that, check out 60 Minutes, um, put in um, Dr. David Perlin, it will come up. The other thing is this, on lessons in leadership, we, we've interviewed all kinds of different leaders in different industries, and Bob Garrett, the leader of Hackensack Meridian Health, has been with us, Jim Blazer, who heads up a huge piece of the portfolio of HMH, huge strategic questions and issues, right? Just mm -hmm. a piece of what he does. Absolutely. Why am I raising that? Because we often, not struggle with, but try to, we, we, we try to teach more strategic leadership, but I'm saying if we get so caught up on strategic leadership, I promise I won't get on a soapbox, but some of our leaders are very linear. They're very tactical. They're operational, get stuff done, but they're not stepping back enough and saying, well, should we even be doing that in the first place? What are the opportunities? What's the innovation? What's the disruption? Point being, what is the balance you see between strategic leadership and dare I use the term operational task, tactical leadership? Well, I mean, you have to have both uh, without question. Um, and, you know, I think one of the great, uh, one of the great lessons in leadership, uh, as you guys well know, is you don't necessarily have to have a team full of people who can do everything. You, you have to have teams that as a collective do everything well. And, you know, I would argue that in, in a lot of situations, uh, we have folks in our leadership team who either by uh, capability or preference would tell you, I love the strategic side of my job right. and I love making this happen and I love to engage people and activate people around those elements of the job. And we've got other folks who would say, love it, glad you like to think about that, let me know what you come up with. I really, really get my juices flowing when I'm working with a team of people to actually execute something and make it happen and see results uh, in relatively short order. Uh, it's not an immediate gratification thing, but it's, right. it's, it's concrete tactical objectives uh, that I can click off and, and knock down and then move on. Um, and I think the key to, to really great organizational leadership is getting teams of people together that create a really a perfect balance of those two elements of, uh, of the leadership uh, dynamics you're talking about, Steve. Limited time we have left. Mary, I'll give you the last question with Dr. Uh, Dan Varga, who is the Chief Physician Executive at Hackensack Meridian Health, where we've been uh, honored to do a whole range of leadership development and communication coaching and learned an awful lot from some very dedicated professionals. Go ahead, Mary. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say, and I know you talked about it a little bit, but if you could narrow it down to one major leadership lesson that you learned that you could say, all right, out of the end of this, uh, Steve and I have been sharing a lot that with every challenge comes opportunity. 
So is there a specific one leadership lesson that you can say really you have taken away from this and you'll apply to, you know, the next wave, if you will, if and when there is one? Yeah, um, the, um, uh, the most important element, at least in, in uh, my leadership portfolio, uh, is, is a very simple element. And that is, I think leadership above all is a dialogue. It's a dialogue internally with the folks that you're leading, and it's a dialogue externally with the folks that, that you're serving. And in the context of having a dialogue, whether it's internal or external, uh, and to be quite honest, even if it's with yourself. You're uh, talking to yourself, asking yourself questions. Go ahead. That's right. Challenging yourself. It is, it is challenging. And what I'm going to say is even more challenging with yourself, and that is the most important element of the dialogue, no matter with whom it is, is transparency and clarity. Uh, if you can't be transparent with your team members and the folks you lead, or with the community you serve, and even more importantly, with yourself, uh, you're not going to be able to lead well. Uh, transparency uh, solves, you know, a, a multitude of sins. I mean, sunlight kills a lot of stuff, right? And so, for me, you know, my biggest leadership uh, lesson, both for myself and with folks I work, is first and foremost, keep it a dialogue. And within the context of the dialogue, first and foremost, be transparent. That has been, and we've been honored to be joined by Dr. Daniel Varga, who is Chief Physician Executive at uh, Hackensack Meridian Health. Dr. Varga, I want to thank you with your ridiculous schedule, um, with so many things on your schedule, joining us on Lessons in Leadership to you and all the physicians and the teacher, team at HMH. <clears throat> we wish you all the best and stay safe, be well, and keep doing good things. All the best. Y'all do the same. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. This is uh, Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gemma. That was Dan Varga, and we'll be right back. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by Gibbons PC, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. Welcome back to uh, Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato with Mary Gamble. I want to thank Dr. Dan Varga of Hackensack Meridian Health. Mary, before we bring on our good friend, uh, Kevin Lewing, could you uh, let folks know where to find us? Absolutely. So you can find us. I always like to get out my cheat sheet so I don't miss anything because then you like to correct me. Uh, so at stand-deliver.com, could, uh, you could log on there, get a lot of great resources, free articles, and you could subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on Google Play. And then we're also all over the web. You can find us at news12plus.com. Uh, what time on News 12 Plus on oh, Sunday mornings? Every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And Just that checking. is followed by, yep, followed by Think Tank. I'd love to give a shout out to Think Tank as well at 10.30. Our sister program, that's right. Yes, absolutely. And then I also like to thank our um, underwriters of our program. We have Gibbons, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, and the International Union of Operating Engin Engineers, Local 825. That's Gibbons PC. Gibbons PC. Just want to clarify that. Hey, one of our longtime friends, boy, have we talked about leadership. We've talked about education, higher education. We talk about sports with him. Yes, he'll, he'll admit it. He's a Met fan. Uh, I'm a Yankee fan. We'll, we'll but, forgive him for that for now. 
No, there's nothing to forgive him for. He just, <laughs> he's a believer. And he believes, uh, and by the way, his connection in 1969, he talks all about that too. But uh, Kevin Lewing is the chairman of Berkeley College. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too. By the way, real quick, before we do leadership, your connection to the Mets? Connection to the Mets, a lifelong fan since I was seven years old. Okay, so uh, I don't want to talk about Casey Stengel's leadership style. That's another topic. <laughs> okay. Kevin, so listen, in terms of, I was just mentioning this book, Who Moved My Cheese, Dr. Spencer Johnson. The cheese, the metaphor for anything in life you're going after, it constantly is moving around. Change is the only constant. COVID-19, Berkeley College, and the world of higher ed. Talk about change, go ahead. Well, we got hit with change overnight. Uh, fortunately, we had a couple days notice before we had to put everything online, but uh, we were fortunate that we already had uh, 25% of our students taking all of the courses online and, and more than half of our students taking at least one course online. So uh, our faculty were used to teaching online and over the course of a week, we were able to redesign the uh, syllabi for all the on-site courses to be taught online. So when we did have to pull everybody off campus, uh, we had redesigned syllabi and, and were able to adapt really quickly to the online environment. And, uh, we've been very successful at that. We're ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the top bachelor's uh, programs uh, in the United States online. Talk about innovation and change. Has higher ed education been changed forever, even after? We hope and pray there's a vaccine. And we're taping this at the end of June 2020. It'll be seen later. Higher education changed forever, Kevin Loy? Oh, absolutely. I, I think this just pushes everybody to online faster. Um, we have two-thirds adults and one-third uh, out of high school, so we've been more focused on adults than most traditional colleges, but we, we've been really building the online program, and I think that's uh, forced a lot of other institutions to develop their online programs, uh, which fortunately we've been doing for over 20 years. Um, I, I think what we're going to see more of is more hybrids, and that's really what we're going to do for this fall, where you got to be prepared for everything that uh, whether on site, online, get pulled back, whatever happens, uh, we're going to be prepared with hybrid classes where students will be on site uh, every other week for their class. And then the rest of it will be offered online. Um, and we have the ability at any point just to pull back from, from the on site uh, hey, classes. Hey, Mary, as I listen to Kevin, the phrase strategic agility comes to mind. Go ahead, jump in. Yeah, absolutely. That we just need to roll with the punches and whatever is thrown at us, we, we just have to be prepared. Um, one of the things that we had noticed that, that works in our favor with online is you're able to combine sections. So if you have a class of 10 in Woodbridge and a class of 10 in Paramus, you can run one online section for 20 students. And then when they meet on site, they could still meet in Paramus and Woodbridge. So sort of a different model that we're looking at where students can sort of get a little bit of, of everything. Sure. Mary, it's all yours, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Kevin, one thing that I found, I, I'm actually a parent of a senior who just graduated yesterday, as a matter of fact. And as a parent, I'm hearing a lot of other parents with the concern of, well, we're paying all this money for an in-person education and now we're going online and this isn't fair. And how are you addressing the people that just as human beings, we don't like change. We had a vision in our head of, okay, our kid's gonna graduate high school. That was nothing like we expected how it was gonna go. Then we're gonna bring them off to college, drop them off. And 
how are you dealing with your students who may say, yeah, you know, I know that, you know, Berkeley has really led, you know, the way in terms of online learning, but I was planning on attending in person and I'm really disappointed about that. How are you helping those students to really adapt to change and embrace the new way and the, and the new reality that we're facing? Well, I think one thing that sets Berkeley College apart is we don't have residence facilities. And I think that's really what people think of when they think of going away to college is, is that whole living away from home experience and, and having friends joining a fraternity and, and getting involved uh, while you're away from home. Uh, at Berkeley College, they're, they're all commuting students. And, and we focus on the workplace and workplace skills. So sure, really sure, but they but they still were planning. Sorry to interrupt you, but they were still planning a lot of them to attend in in person classes, right? And have that experience right. and engage with the professor. You know, work in team groups in person. Um, so are you finding that people are still, um, you know, not too happy about that, or are they really embracing? Well, we're that? we're hearing uh, students that are concerned about coming on site and. I know we just announced last week what our plans were for the fall. And so now when people hear online or hybrid, they have a picture in their mind. And certainly if you're a high school senior, the picture in your mind of online is what you just went through the last three months of, of high school, which is completely different than the model that we use. So part of it's gonna be educating them on online, um, asynchronous uh, online versus being on Zoom with, with the teacher. But, Yes, there, there, there are concerns, and that's why we're hoping that the fact that they'll be able to be on campus and be face-to-face -face with faculty um, a certain period of time, and, and some of our classes, which involve labs and, and clinicals, they'll be on-site all the time. Um, but we're hoping that that combination of some online and on-site will get them over that and that they can adjust, but I think People come to Berkeley essentially to, to get trained for a job and, and they're commuting from home. So they're not necessarily looking for that same live on campus uh, experience that others are. They're, they're looking to basically come in, get their degree and then go out and get a job and make money. You know, Kevin, the, an interesting follow up is you're a student of leadership. One of the things I've known about you over the years that we've been partners and friends and colleagues is that you talk about leadership a lot. You think about it. So I've got tons of books here. One of my favorites uh, is Attitude is Everything by Keith Harrell. And, and, and John Cotter wrote this book, which is simply called, see it? Yes. Sense of Urgency. And I mentioned Who Moved My Cheese. And I'm not just looking to plug books. Um, and the best one, of course, Kevin, being this one. Kevin has this in his library. I, just I knew that was coming. Absolutely. Yeah, no kidding it was coming. So here's, here's your, seriously my question. Your view of leadership, your development as a leader, and Berkeley is established by your family, right? I'm sure you've learned from family members and others, but to what extent are you a reader about leadership, a student of leadership in that way? Uh, and to what extent is your leadership approach trial and error like most of us? It's actually in between because I'm not as much of a reader and then I'm definitely not the the trial and, and, and error type, which is my son, the entrepreneur. So I'm probably somewhere in between that I, I think I see models. Uh, I, I look at people that are successful and, and see what they do. Uh, I'm involved with a lot of chambers of commerce and you sure um, are. involved in some of those presentations. So I think over time I pick up different styles and, and different tips. So I, I think that's how I've developed it. 
And by the way, Kevin joined us for, we did a seminar with the Commerce and Industry Association, right, Mary? Mm -hmm, uh, yeah. We had about 60 or so people on Zoom and Kevin was on. And I, I think Kevin was, Kevin came on thinking, all right, out about us doing a leadership thing on leading during the pandemic. I'll just sit and see if he's got something. Within two minutes, I was calling Kevin out. I saw his <laughs> picture and I pulled him in well, along with some other friends. Um, I'm a big fan. I, I like to say you need to force engagement. Does that bother you, Kevin? Does it bother me personally? It, it puts me on my toes. So I, I think it's great. Um, so I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think you do need the engagement to keep people uh, thinking and uh, being active. And by the way, along those lines, I've, I've come to Berkeley many times to do leadership seminars in person. And let me just say, those students are engaged and involved and they're challenged. You, uh, Kevin, you mentioned your son who's an entrepreneur, right? Right. You, you ever, Gary V? Gary my Vanderchuk? Well, oh, my daughter works for Gary. Is that true? No yeah. way. I didn't even know that. I'm just, Gary's been on, by the way, check our website, steveautobato.org. See every interview we did with Gary V. So you, you have a connection to Gary V. Right. I've never personally met him, but there's actually going to be a big announcement coming out this week, which I can't talk about. But my daughter does work for Gary. In fact, her desk is, well, right now she's working from home, but her desk is a couple of desks away from his office. Well, you talk about the quintessential entrepreneur. Every interview, you know, we, I got into a big battle with Gary. Uh, he was in, in our Tish WNEQ studio and he said, college is overrated and you should take that money and start a business. And I remember pushing back really hard thinking, find a start a business, but you can't just blow off a college education. But anyway, that's another story. Kevin, before I let you go, number one leadership lesson, other than innovative, being innovative, constantly changing, um, challenging the people around you, you guys are ahead of the curve on the online education piece. Biggest leadership lesson you've learned so far in the age of COVID-19. One thing that I've learned, and, and this just came about over the past couple of days when I thought about it, when I put all the pieces together, and it's think small, that we're a big organization with used to be over 8,000 students, now down to 5,000 students, and we did uh, a furlough of over 150 uh, employees because of uh, COVID, and Right now, we have all this extra space. So we, we have a big footprint. And so we just finished completing our budget, got approved by the board. And the whole emphasis has been on, okay, let's reduce our footprint. We've now shrunk back in students. We've shrunk back in faculty and staff. So now how do we utilize that extra space? Who can we get into our space as partners because we own our property? So that it's a matter of, look, we can't afford to occupy all that space with the amount of staff and students that we have. So how do we get innovative on, on how we fill that space with partners? So that's the one thing I'm focused on right now is, is partnerships and being able to operate within the same facility. Uh, real quick, Mary, before I let uh, um, Kevin go, we've gotten smaller. We only have 90 seconds. Let's just finish the show all the way with, uh, yeah, with Kevin. Go we've gotten smaller and tighter, right, Mary? Oh, yeah. And it's funny that we've made so many changes. We were all in the office. Now we're all working remotely. After working so successfully and efficiently remotely, we're like, hey, why don't we do this moving forward? So we're looking to give up some of our office space. So it's really just about getting more efficient. Our staff got smaller. Our staff got smaller by one, and we were already a very small staff. And really, it's about seeing a crisis, seeing a challenge as an opportunity to really dig deep, lean in, and see where you can make changes 
both, you know, to the budget, to staffing, to your mm -hmm. operations, and overall just to how you run your business. But the status quo, Kevin, before I let you go, status quo is never really an option, is it? No, it never is. You got to keep evolving. Otherwise, everybody passes you up, especially in higher ed. It's always changing. That's why, again, there's a, there is a book. I, I told Mary, she, she almost killed over when I said this. I said, I want to write book, a book called Innovate or Die. And then I did a search. And of course, there's a book called Innovate or Die. Because <laughs> I wanted to do, we're going to do a book on looking at lessons in leadership around COVID-19. We'll find another title, but there will be another book. And I look forward, by the way, we're doing, we're going to be doing a seminar at Berkeley on racial and social justice issues coming up. We'll work out the details. Kevin Lewing, who is in fact the chairman of the great Berkeley College with campuses all over. Kevin, thanks for joining us as always. Appreciate it. Mary Gamba, great job. This has been Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is brought to you by Gibbons PC, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com.